0: Because the information discussed and provided in the accompanying podcast is prepared for a general audience without investigation into the facts of each particular case, it is not legal advice. Tammy Gaw does not have a lawyer client relationship with any listeners. The thoughts and commentary about the law contained on this podcast is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute solicitation, or provision of legal advice. We are continuing our conversation on misconduct, and we are going to pick up right where we left off, which was at the end of our last case study. So if you didn't listen to the previous episode, Go back and listen to that because we're going to be talking about the elements of it throughout this episode. So in regards to the case about the female athletic trainer who had a relationship with her student, I wanted to point out something that was something that I learned recently. Um, I think that most of us might be under the impression that 18 years old is the kind of quote-unquote agreed-upon age at which someone becomes an adult. And this is actually referred to legally as the age of majority and is not the same in all states, kind of as Tammy alluded to in the last episode with the age of a child being able to get married. And so Age of majority pertains solely to the acquisition of legal control over one's person, decision, or actions. Specifically, Alabama and Nebraska have an age of majority of 19 years old instead of 18, and this also should not be confused with the age of maturity which is the age at which sexual consent, marriageable age, drinking age, driving age, voting age, gambling age, et cetera, that is considered age of majority, um, which is actually more specifically what Tammy had referred to in the previous episode. So regardless of this, relationships with students still brings up feelings over the abuse of power or kind of the misuse of trust in a relationship, Tammy, thoughts there? yeah, I mean, you said you you called
1: it. We talked about it in the past episode, and it is key to remember that you know, consensual sex might not just be misconduct. it could also be a felony.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as we said, statutory rape does not require forced or non-consensual activity. Right. The laws, especially the ones that you mentioned, are perfect examples. Mm -hmm. They have determined that sex with boys and girls of a certain age is considered statutorily illegal regardless of consent. Mm -hmm. And that age is different in different states. Some states in the South have very low ages of consent. Mm
0: -hmm. So. So um one thing that I discovered when I was researching this article that I was pretty disappointed by um, is that the the BOC no longer has a statement that you have to check when submitting your continuing education units at the end of the reporting period asking about whether you have been accused or convicted of a crime. And I know for a fact that there used to be, because I have peers who have had non-work-related offenses and had to submit documentation about it. So I know that this has been a part of the BOC's continued credentialing or allowing us to continue to stay credentialed. And you know, I will admit that when I was researching this episode and all of the cases that I previously mentioned to you guys, I found some athletic trainers who were still certified based on the articles that I had found, and I reported them for a potential violation. I'm not sure why the BOC removed that question from our reporting period requirements. But in my opinion, it's a simple change that could make a major difference in how we police ourselves professionally. And I do think that some states regulate it more heavily when you have to get licensed. However, as we know, all states don't have licensure looking at you, California. Um, and overall, I think that the buck should stop with the BOC, as they are the ones that allow us to to continue to be credentialed. Tammy, your thoughts on us doing a better job of policing ourselves?
1: Well, I would love to know the reasoning behind removing that question.. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't see the I don't see the sense behind it because Mm -hmm. there are some there are some, you know, crimes, property crimes, for instance. You know, I mean, that's that's easily you can provide documentation for that relatively easily. Right. Um, I could see an argument about having to report if you were accused and then deciding how to ask about a, quote, conviction, because that tends to imply that the matter was adjudicated in a court of law Mm -hmm. as opposed to any you know, through a body or institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hands-off approach that some in the industry seem to be taking towards the ethical implications of some behavior is, in my opinion, an abdication of responsibility Yeah, and does not serve or reflect well on our profession at all.
0: I agree. And thinking about what you had said in the previous episode, where even the U.S. Department of Education is trying to make it Harder to make reportable offenses, or making it harder on the reporter to file reportable offenses. Um, this this gives me the same feeling. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that they have a reason, and you know, um, not to try to make guesses. But even if it was something like we don't have the resources, uh, I, I think that you need to have the resources. This is just something that, in my opinion, is is not a question and. If one of our uh, entities, I don't think it can be the NATA because they're a membership, um, but I think that if you are going to be responsible for accrediting our education programs and assuring the public and the nation that if they have that BOC seal, uh, then they've met certain levels of standards, I don't understand how you can't not be looking at investigating uh you know allocating resources towards this
1: well and I I think that's right and I'd also just like to clear you know there's there's such a thing I don't want people to confuse this with things on employment applications right um, that are the things like you know the ticking the box yeah. um with respect to previous crimes right that that has a uh an entirely different implication mm-hmm. that's a the reason those are being removed and I think appropriately so is because they tend to be very racially skewed and I think that, and they're, they're unnecessary. Right. Um, But this is not in the case of an application. This Mm -hmm. is a case of maintaining a certification and that comes along with a higher ethical reporting requirement in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I was reading through the BOC code of professional responsibility and I wanted to share some excerpts that kind of speak directly to this topic. So um, 1.2 reads, protects the patients from undue harm and acts always in the patient's best interests and is an advocate for the patient's welfare, including taking appropriate action to protect patients from healthcare providers or athletic training students who are impaired or engaged in illegal or unethical practice. Tammy, when I hear this one, it immediately makes me think of the Michigan State case, which I said we weren't going to discuss, (laughs) but the idea that other adults, athletic trainers, specifically knew about this and didn't do anything. Well, you are right to think about that. (laughs) Um, I think, simply, I
1: think that that Uh, that particular provision is pretty wishy-washy, specifically Hmm. about what would constitute, quote, appropriate. What is the definition of appropriate?
0: Oh, interesting. Um,
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's wishy-washy. And it, you know, it makes no reference to individual states' mandatory reporting requirements. It doesn't even acknowledge that that would be a variable.
0: That's a really good point. Hmm. I didn't think about how is appropriate defined. But again, Um, potentially this is done on purpose so that they can be wishy-washy, uh, that they don't have to put a hard and fast on it, which can be useful, but well, that's true. Yeah. You you also
1: don't want it to be so, um, so nebulous that it actually holds no water.
0: Well, and I think what's difficult about it is that it puts the onus on the reporter to determine what is appropriate right? So yep. we're not even really taught about that, which we will get into in this episode, uh, our lack of education on this. Um, But it just seems like a, everybody's passing the buck to the other person. And what happens there, like we saw with Michigan State, is that we go decades with people knowing about it and saying or doing nothing. I agree. Let's see. Um, reads that we develop and maintain a relationship of trust and confidence with the patient and or parent or guardian of a minor patient and does not exploit that relationship for personal or financial gain. Tammy, do you think that exploit has room for interpretation here? And what I mean by that is do you think that some of these predators believe that they're exploiting their relationships? I think that's an incredibly fair point. There mm. are
1: some people who do not think their behavior rises to a level of exploitation yeah. when an outside person or a third party might think that it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. So I think you're completely
0: right in pointing that out. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the first episode of when you're engaged in it, it may not feel a certain way, but then as an outsider, you look at it and you realize whoa, major red flags. Which is why an ethics hotline would
1: be so helpful <laughs> so you could anonymously call up and ask a question
0: beating yes, that drum. ethics hotline. You need a slow clap.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. yeah.
0: Um, okay, ethics, uh, let's see. Code of Professional Responsibility 1.6 reads, does not engage in intimate or sexual activity with a patient and or a parent or guardian of a minor patient. I found it interesting that it prohibits the athletic trainer from being intimate with the parent or guardian of a minor parent. I didn't realize that they could prohibit that, though I absolutely see kind of the conflict of interest there.
1: And I think you bring up the, you bring up the good point, you know, that you're, you're starting now, you're getting into consensual adult relationships, but yes, the potential conflict of interest and the appearance of impropriety with a parent or guardian Mm -hmm. should outweigh everything
0: else. Mm -hmm. I want to make a note really quick here. I saw on a Facebook post somewhere and I'm, you know, don't take this as real cited evidence, but, um, I believe that a former version of this statute, 1.6, actually had a timeline on it as well. uh, And it read that you also shouldn't have, you shouldn't engage in intimate or sexual activity with a patient, parent, guardian of a minor parent for at least two years after as well. That is no longer in here. Yeah, I read that somewhere. Uh, I did not do thorough enough research to try to find previous versions of the BOC guidelines, but they quoted it in their Facebook post. So huh. I wonder if that is true, why that was removed. That is interesting. We have questions. <laughs> we have questions. <laughs> and speaking of questions, um, I don't think that there is any question either in our minds that misconduct is a clear violation of the reasonably prudent person or professional standard. But I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this standard and how it relates to reporting a colleague or intervening in a situation that our listeners might feel is, quote-unquote, inappropriate, open to interpretation. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I do want to get into mandated reporter training next, but I'm more focused on the idea of, like, self-reporting or policing within our profession.
1: Well, I mean, that jumps into a whole quagmire, doesn't it? <laughs> um, you Indeed. know, Are you responsible for reporting a colleague for a consensual relationship with a parent or guardian? Who do you report them to? Mm -hmm. Do you go to them first and tell them that you're going to
0: report Mm, them? Um,
1: Now, if you're talking about a colleague's relationship with an underage person, that's when we go back to knowing the reporting regulations of your institutions right. and the, the mandatory reporting requirements that you mentioned, because yeah. if you're at a school, regardless of the level, they should have regulations regarding what teachers, administrators, that kind of thing uh-huh. are and are not supposed to report regarding their colleagues and the process for doing so. Correct. So, you know, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Don't take on the burden of trying to reinvent the wheel, figure out what that process is.
0: Right. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, I think that it's important to note that being a bystander of a crime is also a criminal offense, and so knowing about or being an accomplice in a situation can cause you to be found guilty as well, not to mention the victim needing your help in those situations, And so I found a really great resource, uh, rain.com. That's R A I N N. And according to rain.com, here are some of the reasons why someone wouldn't step in to help one, I don't know what to do or say. Two, I don't want to cause a scene. Three, it's none of my business. Four, I don't want them to be mad at me. Or five, I'm sure someone else will do something. Tammy, when I read these, it reminds me a lot of in my Red Cross training to be an instructor to certify other people in uh, first aid, BLS, whatever it is. There are uh, essentially barriers to act. And we have to teach people that in becoming certified by Red Cross, or I'm sure American Heart Association, everybody has this to some extent in there, that you are potentially uh, perpetuating a situation if you don't intervene and that by now being certified, you are required to or you might be the most highly trained or the most uh, able-bodied person to intervene. And so it almost seems that human behavior tends to lean towards protecting ourselves, even if someone might be in danger.
1: And and I think that's right. And it's understandable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to a certain extent, um, especially in a hyper litigious society where everyone sues everyone else at the drop of a <laughs> hat. True. Um, but we became athletic trainers because we wanted to help people. Yeah. And sometimes that comes with the added responsibility report and do things that make us nervous or uncomfortable yeah. um you know rain i cannot i cannot emphasize enough the good work that rain does and mm. and it's it's short for the uh rape abuse and incest national network
0: thank um, you I'm
1: they sure, yeah. operate uh a, an a, a, a amazing national sexual assault hotline mm. um that is um i think it's in fact i know it's it's 1-800-656 Four six seven three. If anybody is interested, oh, so that's one eight hundred six five six four six seven three, and that's you know, Rain does that kind of work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but they also have free, wonderful, free resources mm. for people who might be in a position to report a potentially harmful interaction. Yeah, and so that's that's I encourage people to familiarize yourself with them and utilize them because you know they're they're an organization that this is not you know they. They are are out there to protect both victims and reporters as best Mm -hmm. they can. And Mm -hmm. so take advantage, take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, action item listeners, go to RAINN.com. And I was actually able to grab some of the recommendations that they give to help avoid a potentially harmful situation from happening if you're a bystander. So uh, those four recommendations are Um, Create a distraction, so essentially do what you can to interrupt the situation, and this could potentially give the person at risk a chance to leave or get away safely or at least get to a safe place. You can ask directly, so talk directly to the person who might be in trouble, would you like me to stay with you? You can refer to an authority refer to a neutral party with the authority to intervene in the situation. That one always reminds me of like a bouncer in a nightclub. If you see something fishy going on in a corner, in a bathroom, just go get the security and tell them, they'll take care of it. Um, And then also enlist others, use the power of numbers to help make a difference uh, if you're that bystander that could potentially help a, um, a harmful situation from happening. I want to move our discussion now to the area of mandated reporter training. Um, And I think that this is something that should be addressed in our profession. And though I'm sure that many of our listeners are familiar with what this might be, I was discouraged and honestly a bit bewildered that it wasn't an inherent training in becoming a certified athletic trainer. Uh, personally, I was never taught about this in my education program. And in asking around, it seems that I was not an anomaly. This wasn't because I went to school over 15 years ago. Um, most of the athletic trainers that I understand will come in contact with mandated reported training as a result of their workplace, especially if you're working at the secondary school level. However, if you are contracted in or you aren't a faculty position, you may not be required to do this. As an example, I worked at a private Catholic school for a few years when I first started the business, but my classification at that school was a staff member not faculty, so I was never required to attend pretty much any of the preschool preschool year in services, where I'm assuming that this training was taking place, but I don't even know for sure. And to me, this is a massive oversight, in my opinion. Um, I did do a small briefing with an unofficial poll within a few Facebook groups, and. I again know that this was not an anomaly. I'm not the only one who was overlooked in either being contracted in or uh, being a staff and not a faculty member. So the first time that I actually came in contact with this mandatory report, mandated reporter training was when I worked at the USA level. And this training wasn't even a standalone it actually was lumped together with the anti-doping education that all of us every athlete every coach had to take as well so yeah pretty interesting um so i didn't even necessarily see this as something that our our profession like it wasn't alicia you're an athletic trainer you need to make sure you do this mandated reporter training it was just Mandated reported training was in there with the anti-doping and all coaches, all athletes, all all medical staff had to do it. So to be honest, it wasn't until one of my athletic trainers asked me explicitly about it that I started questioning all of the ways that I and most athletic trainers have been able to slip through the cracks of this training. I've been running my business for over seven years with entire school districts who have risk management and legal departments who thoroughly vet every single sentence in my contract that's placed in front of them. And not once ever has the topic of mandated reporter training ever been brought up or discussed. And that's a big deal because they talk about everything under the moon.
1: (laughs) Um, Everything.
0: And I I just, I think that this is an absolute disservice. Either it's so obvious that we wouldn't even think to have to ask, or it's something that we don't take seriously. I won't speculate to the answer of either one of those. (laughs) But I do know that it's now in front of me, and us and i can't forget about it i cannot look the other direction knowing that it's as simple from the safe sport organization as a $20 90 minute training that covers mandated reporter and it's it's actually a really cool module cuz it has mandatory reporter sexual misconduct awareness education and emotional and physical misconduct. So why did we not receive this during our undergraduate education? And why is it not a requirement to be certified? Why do we have to show proof? Why, why don't, yeah, why? all? We have questions. <laughs> we have questions. Why do we not have to show proof of it to be licensed? Uh, again, I just believe this is a massive Oversight, and quite frankly, it's it's unforgivable. Uh, I'm not saying that the outcome of any of these cases that we've discussed would necessarily be any different, but if we were required to do this training each year, or you know, I mean, even every reporting period, so every other year, imagine how much more in the forefront this discussion would be. Um, And Tammy, I know I don't have to ask you because I wrote you an email immediately and said, what is going on here? And you were as equally dumbfounded as to how we could get this far in the profession without acknowledging it.
1: Yes, I do recall using words that we don't use on these recordings.
0: Yes. (laughs) There's law around this or something, right? There's got to be something here.
1: Well, there's so there's the Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse and Safe Sport Authorization Act mm-hmm. that went into effect in January of
0: 2018,
1: mm-hmm. um, which is helpful, but it doesn't cover all the bases. Yeah. And, you know, you made reference to an NATA document that states, without question, the duty to report under this regulation extends to athletic trainers. Right. So again, as you say, why is this not being forced down our throat the way that other NATA content is. You know, I <laughs> I think this should be, if, if you're going to make me do an EBP yeah. CEU, yeah. you better, you better require a good, you know, one to 1.5 CEUs on this. Yeah. My feeling. So, Agreed. Um, for people that are, you know, are really interested in what this looks like in practice and not you know, just the idea of, oh, there's this act and people may have heard about safe sport and things like that. But, you know, I, I encourage people to follow the work of Nancy Hogshead mm. Um, She is a former Olympic medalist in swimming. Um, she's a lawyer. She is a tireless battler for Title Nine. Mm. Um but she's very well known for her advocacy work and was instrumental in getting this law passed, but also has fought very hard for safe sport to be a separate entity from the USOC. Oh, okay. So as we know, the failures around the Larry Nassar case yeah. were not just by individuals, but they were colossal failures at an institutional level. Yeah. Um, so the USOC and USAG are culpable in keeping that monster in place and at ignoring multiple, multiple reports from multiple athletes. Correct. I mean, you can, if you look into it, you can find emails and records of when FBI people were actually yep. talking about jobs with Olympic committee, you know, with, with national governing body yeah. members while they were supposed to be investigating. Yeah. So yeah, why this isn't being forced down our throats like this obsession with EBP, I do not. They're, they this is far more important than yeah. ten C use of evidence-based work.
0: Right. You can't you can't convince more,
1: me but, otherwise. Yeah. Feel
0: free to contact me if you think you can. You can't. <laughs> Good luck. Um yeah. I will say that I had a chance to look at the upcoming 2020 standards that Katie has released. And mandated reporter training is in there to some extent. I believe that there is a moment in the education curriculum that it has to be mentioned, uh, but I do not believe that there is a requirement for students in the education programs to become mandated reporters, uh, which again is unfortunate to me. 9,000 of the members that NATA is saying that they have are students. So if we can require them to become NATA members, I don't know why we can't require them to do mandated reporter training. Um, And I think that we need to take it a step further and, and maybe they will. I think that when you go to sit to take your BOC, you need to show evidence of mandated reporter training. And I think that moving forward in our uh reporting periods i think they need to bring that box back that says i was not convicted of or whatever it was related to criminal history and i also think that we need to upload certificates of mandated reporter training um and this to me this applies whether you work with minors or not most of us who may never work clinically again still have to keep first aid certifications to me it's the same idea so to me, there's just no reason why we can't report this. It's not a major hurdle or burden for acquisition of it or the maintenance of it. So, it's it's one small step that our profession could take to raise the bar, and um, and and I think we need to.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: So I do want to mention uh, also um, that I did discover that the state of Pennsylvania does require mandated reporter training in order to be licensed. So three cheers to them. More states take notice.
1: (laughs) Way to go, Pennsylvania.
0: Exactly. Um, So to me, you know, this topic is not one where we need to emphasize the fact that you need to know the rules and the laws that regulate our fields. These are situations where the perpetrators know what they are doing is wrong, which is demonstrated in their behavior of telling victims to keep quiet. I do believe that adding the question back to our CEU reporting, like I've already said, would be beneficial, requiring the mandated reporter training. Tammy, what are other risk control ideas or suggestions do you have that we as individuals or we as a profession could take on? Well, you know, we talk about the ethics CEUs. So thinking kind of the the off-site
1: courses Mm -hmm. that are available to us when we do this. But you know, the every year at the Sports Lawyers Association, which I know everybody is tired of me bringing up, (laughs) it's amazing. (laughs) It's a fantastic conference. Yeah, tough. But you know, it goes on. It's it's half the time of the NATA. It starts about noon on a Thursday. Uh Goes. Until six ish, is all day Friday, and then goes Saturday morning until about twelve thirty or one. Okay. And on Saturday morning, or I'm sorry, it's not Saturday morning; it's Friday mornings. Every Friday morning, from eight to ten,
0: mm-hmm.
1: at every year, mm-hmm. there is a two hour session that is all role playing and asking the audience what would be ethical mm-hmm. violations for
0: lawyers. Very so cool. So people
1: play the client; they play the uh, defendant, they play the plaintiff, they play the lawyer mm-hmm. they play, you know, all of these different things. And they read from a script and there is, uh, you know, you can, you can vote via the app that they put out as yeah. to whether something would have been an ethical requirement. Right. So we get, we get CEUs, specifically our ethics CEUs mm-hmm. at a convention, at a conference that is put together in order to be able to learn more things. So, right. if the SLA can do it when they have one full day and two half days, and they can spend two hours doing it, I'm confused why the NATA that has a four day conference can't do it. So,
0: I agree. Uh, yeah.
1: And also I, a national toll free ethics hotline. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to start our own hotline at this point.
1: <laughs> Call I'm us. Telling you what.
0: There's got to be retired athletic trainers out there that want to do this, right? And see,
1: that's the perfect thing. Why yeah. would you not have someone who may not be practicing full time but still mm-hmm. wants to feed into the system and feed into the profession and Agreed. make everything better and has seen God knows how many different things?
0: I uh, do agree. Why would that
1: person? not why would you not want to take the reins and create an ethics hotline within you, you don't have to be the one that sits at it all day mm-mm, you know
0: this is not the, the thing that's not how it works yeah to me it kind of reminds me of the ats care program that they started where at you know conventions or seminars symposiums throughout the country whether it's the district one or the nata one people can do advanced tracks so they pay an extra couple bucks they get trained in the quote-unquote AT care, AT's care. And that one is specifically in place for athletic trainers who have sustained really difficult situations. So maybe you are at a high school where a kid passed away or a mass shooting event took place or you are just having trouble in your life. You as an athletic trainer can call one of those AT's care trained athletic trainers and talk about stuff with them. So they're kind of like counselors or, um, you know, I think that the NATA could do something very similar by figuring out who wants to be a part of this. And it's, I know that it's just a database that people can log onto to find someone in their area or not even in their area, they can just find someone in the nation. We could do something very similar with an ethics hotline. Uh, yeah, I, did. I mean, when
1: you call when you call a bar exam, just yeah. so people understand, or a, a bar hotline, just uh-huh. so people understand what this looks like. You know, I I have called too when I needed to double check and make sure that working with an organization wasn't necessarily practicing uh, law mm-hmm. outside of you know outside of where I was licensed to practice it. Mm-hmm. And you call up, there's somebody who fields and takes your information Mm. and as much of the information that you want. And then they say you will receive a call back within one business day. Mm. So it's, it doesn't even have to be, you know, you, it's so much easier than I think people think of it as this giant call center has to be staffed with multiple people who can field calls and answer something in any given moment.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. And
1: that's not what it has to look like Uh at all. Yeah. At all. It can be, Essentially, I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but it's a little like an answering service.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: The people that field the calls for the uh, bar hotlines frequently aren't lawyers. They right. don't need to
0: be. No, no, no. It could they just could be administrative staff. Mm-hmm. And exactly. it could even just be an answering machine. You Leave your yeah. name, your contact information, and what you're looking for after the beep and we'll get back to you. I mean, there really doesn't yeah. have to be any kind of on-demand aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I attended a regional uh, district meeting one time, it was District 7, and they had um, their general counsel, so District 7's board, the general counsel that sits on the board, they had him do a mock trial uh, it, as one of the sessions during the meeting. First of all, it was one of the most highly attended uh, sessions but secondly it was so informative and the the dialogue that was engaged in as a result of it was phenomenal um so I agree with you. I think that these kind of mock situations allow us to work through things critically, to have conversation with the people that we're sitting next to, get you know alternative points of view. Uh, I think that Tama, you and I, that is our intent to an extent with having this podcast is giving our audience alternative points of views. But to the extent that this, why this can't be done in real time at any given symposium, is, is beyond me. Yeah. Agreed. Um, when we, when we think about treating an athlete as more than just a commodity or examining their quality of life over the duration of a career, I think the topic of misconduct is one of the most egregious situations that we can see in violation of this, just the complete violation of trust and personhood is something that goes beyond commoditization which is something that we often talk about it's it's trauma it's violence it it has long term lasting effects that we may never be able to capture and so being negligent and causing harm or injury to another person you know is also these things and and what we've talked about over the length of the season but creating misconduct has an air of intention and foul play that's really difficult to erase. Tammy, I'm sure you've got a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> hmm. What what do you want to share here? Well, it's I mean, I
1: think really simply we know that the fallout from trauma can last years, decades or a lifetime. Hmm. Um, we already have a problem in this country with the stigmas around mental health Mm -hmm. and the coverage and the ability to, you know, for health insurance to pay to see therapists, Mm -hmm. which is, could be an entirely separate podcast (laughs) for me. It it infuriates me. Yeah, agreed. Um, But, you know, why would we not do everything in our power to protect young people in our care? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as simple as I can put it. Right. Why would we not do that? Why would that not be a priority for us? Mm-hmm. I don't understand.
0: Yeah, agreed. So in other topic, in other episodes, uh we've talked about how the athletic trainer can protect themselves in the event that a situation is unavoidable. I know an area that I've harped on a lot is athletic trainers having their own liability insurance policies. And in my presentations, I specifically mention making sure that your policy has a molestation clause in it. Now, a lot of employers and and the, the people that I do business with, they look for it. It has to be explicitly stated. Tammy, what should an athletic trainer do if they find themselves accused of a crime but do not feel that they're guilty of it? Well, that's tough. Because
1: Mm. the best way to prevent an accusation is to not put yourself in a position where it could be an issue. That's true. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: False accusations are incredibly rare. Despite Mm. what certain troglodytes and Twitter trolls would have you believe, (laughs) false accusations of sexual abuse and assault are minuscule. Mm. Interesting. But if you are not meeting one on one you know in behind closed doors mm-hmm. obviously you know if you're the only two in the athletic training room we're not trying to create situations or scenarios that are just completely implausible mm-hmm. um but being very careful about your language both yeah. verbal and body language yeah. to avoid a misperception and documenting things as best you can without violating privacy you can do yourself and that athlete an immense benefit mm-hmm. but it is the reality that if you find yourself accused for of a crime, you're going to have to defend it. And you know, I find it interesting when you know people say they, you know, they're not guilty of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that mean you think that you had a right to do it, and mm-hmm. that's why you're not guilty? You know, are you are you saying that somehow you didn't do anything wrong, or blaming the victim
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus? Do you legitimately believe what, you know, did, did what is said happen not happen? Right, right. Because there's, there's, there's a difference. A difference yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But there is um, you know, we we are dealing, you know, the, the Me Too movement started years ago by Tarana Burke and, you know, helpfully brought back into the into the zeitgeist mm-hmm. through very high profile things, you know, is is showing that what uh, what outside people see as very problematic, sometimes the uh, people committing the acts don't see as problematic at all because they feel like they're entitled to it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, the that's different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's different. No doubt. Um, so, yeah. Bears mind uh, breaking those two
0: down. The, the only other thing I want to add there is um, I did mention that in my – Research for this episode, I found a few instances where I had articles that seemed um, pretty problematic. And I looked up the credentials of those athletic trainers on the BOC, and they were still certified. So I did report them. And thankfully, I was contacted back on every single instance by the BOC. And they replied back with, follow-up articles that essentially the case was dropped against those individuals. And so to your point, Tammy, I also wonder if organization by organization, if that person is willing to leave and it's no longer their problem, if they just drop the charges because they don't want to deal with it, not recognizing where that person could go next, Um, because all the accusations that I had read in these articles, they seemed, they seemed pretty damning. Um, but then as soon as that individual left that organization, charges were dropped.
1: Well, yeah, there, there, and there are a variety of reasons that that could be the case. You know, the, Mm -hmm. that could be the request of the victim, Mm. you know, that, that could be, maybe that's the end result Mm -hmm. that satisfied, that Mm -hmm. satisfied them. Um, you know we've we've made mention already about issues around the department of education and mm-hmm. the way that they are making it harder for people to report mm-hmm. including requiring accusers to physically face their victim or face their wow. abusers Wow. Um, yeah it's
0: <laughs> it's wow.
1: really to say it's problematic i just i don't have i don't have words that really articulate where we are in the national discourse around these kind of things yeah. and what what we are struggling with and what we are having to reckon mm-hmm. and reconcile mm-hmm. um, with. So, you know, it could be that the accuser decided to drop the charges because it wasn't worth it to mm-hmm. him or her
0: mm-hmm. to
1: move forward. Yeah. There can be a variety of different reasons that are not that are not false reports.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, everything down to the resources that that victim or family may have uh, when we go back to, you know, access and and commoditization, that, that idea definitely comes to mind that a lot of families don't have the resources to pursue legal action like this.
1: Well, or when we talked about the case with them, you know, the issues at
0: Baylor Mm -hmm. um,
1: and the abuses and the cover-up that happened there. Mm -hmm. In that case, you're talking about individual human beings going up against an institution that has a vested interest in covering up behaviors. And so that, I mean, the most, I won't say privileged, but the most resourced
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: people would still have a problem going up against a huge institution. Right. Not to, you know, Larry Nassar's yeah. victims went up against the entirety of the USOC and USAG, and those, yeah. you know, we're seeing now what kind of cover-ups were made, right. and you know, a lot of those, a lot of those kids were very resourced, but right. sometimes it's a just going the size of the mountain that you have to climb yeah. and to just get justice.
0: The emotional fortitude that's yep. required to do that. I mean, I, yeah. I think about the the, the Nassar girls and. Uh, If I remember correctly, there was a girl who initially came forward and then backed out because uh, it was too difficult and then ended up reemerging in it once more people came forward. So Uh it's not even necessarily resources or privilege. It's also just, you know, where you at in your life and your ability to emotionally, psychologically, spiritually manage this for yourself and and your life. So, um, you know,
1: especially when you're talking about girls that were. I mean, under the age of fourteen,
0: right? In a lot right, of cases, right? Like,
1: how, how?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had
1: to deal. I've had to deal with this as an adult, mm-hmm. and that was traumatic enough. Exactly. Yeah. The I, I, when I was fourteen, my God, I don't know how I'd do it.
0: No. Well, and and that's the very point. <laughs> yeah, that's, it really is. You know,
1: that is the point.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, misconduct is. Um, Absolutely a situation that can be avoided by an athletic trainer uh, who is the perpetrator in the situation. Uh, you know, this is a type of crime that is not committed on accident, which is a lot, you know, to an extent of what we've talked about this season. Um, but rather with planning and grooming and intent. So Though I want to believe that none of our listeners will ever find themselves as these perpetrators, there's a good likelihood that you will find yourself in a situation where intervention may be required. I would encourage everybody to review the mandated reporter training and understand what role you can play in potentially stopping further abuse from taking place and Overall, personally, I think that a stricter environment of policing ourselves would be beneficial in preventing further situations like these from happening. Tammy, any other closing comments that you want to add? Well, I think the most
1: important one is that, you know, this is this is a really heavy topic and can be very triggering. Um, So I just want to reiterate that you know the rape abuse and cess national network um that you can find at, at rainn.org um or call their hotline at 800-656-4673 um if you mm-hmm. if you need help and find yourself uh, in a situation where this can be um this can be helpful you know the rain is the it's the largest anti-sexual violence organization in the country um and it partners with local sexual assault service providers and operates, you know, the safe helpline for the DOD. Um, and it carries out programs to prevent sexual violence, to help survivors, to ensure perpetrators are brought to justice. There's it is a very helpful organization. So mm-hmm. I think what I would say is that take what we have said today to heart and. Um, don't take it as an accusation that we expect everyone will, you know, misbehave or in any way uh, approach a child in an in an inappropriate manner. But you know, um, I just encourage people to really take this take this in, take this to heart. And if you need help and support, I just I cannot recommend um, the Rain
0: Network enough. Absolutely, great recommendation, great resource. People should check it out. Uh, even if just for further education of yourself and uh, being able to share that information or resource with others. So um, that is the conclusion of our season together. I want to thank all of our listeners for participating. This was a unique uh, interaction for Tammy and I. Uh, This was an opportunity for us to bring content to you guys that was, in a specific realm and area that we thought everybody would benefit from and wanted to listen to. Uh, And your level, your guys' level of engagement with the audio and the podcast is indicative of that. So thank you for following along in this first season. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to bring more content to you in the future. Thank you for listening. You are now eligible to earn your free category A CEU by logging on to theadvantage.com ceu and taking the quiz if you're enjoying listening or know a colleague looking for free ceus please share our link and don't forget to like us on social media at the advantage thank you to mr logistics for the music you've heard throughout